any way, shape, or form, scriptures, open them up to 1 Peter, because that's where we're going to be again this week. 1 Peter chapter 5. I love Peter. Um, I love to study him. Um, I love to study the books of Peter, and it's probably because I feel like I have the most identification with Peter, <laughs> and you'll find out why in just a little bit, right, since we're going to talk about that. But um, so I'm continuing on uh, in our passage. Next week, Brian's going to bring a Christmas message that's going to be more geared towards Christmas, so we're going to take a break from uh, our first Peter uh, series here next week. But I get to, to go on. So we're gonna, I'm going to read to you. I'm going to be speaking in chapter, uh, chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. But I want to start, get a running start from verse 1, and just um, read what Brian spoke about last week as he talked to us about the responsibility of elders to shepherd the flock, right? That's what, he, that's what his, uh, his sermon was on last week. And we're going to now talk about um, the flock's response to the elders a little bit as well as the entire church. So let me read here, chapter 5, verse 1 in 1 Peter. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not, shame, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here's our verses. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Have you ever noticed that you can easily identify people by the clothes that they wear, <clears throat> right? You can identify their, their profession. So if you have a doctor, I know some of us look like doctors these days because we're all wearing masks, but, but typically when you, know, you see a doctor, you're like, I, that, you know, and they're in their, clo their work clothes, you're like, that's a doctor or a nurse, um, some more probably so like a police officer, you wear, they wear a badge, a blue uniform. Nobody has to tell you, oh, that's a police officer or a fireman. Oh, that's a fireman. You know by the uniform that they wear, by the clothes that they're wearing. We know, we know them. We don't ha nobody has to tell us what their profession are, professions are. They are easily identifiable by the clothes that they wear. In our passage this morning, Peter tells us, the church that we ought to be just as readily recognizable when he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Why? He answers that as he quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, and verse 5 there. He says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Or stated another way, since God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, every Christian, clothe yourself in humility. Okay, so we're going to talk about humility today. I think you probably have already, you know, surmised that this whole passage, the main verb there is humble yourself. That's the main verb there in verse 6. So we're going to speak about humility. Now, there's a disclaimer that I want to give before we start. I'm prideful, okay? <laughs> I am prideful. So I am not speaking to you from my ivory tower. I'm speaking to you as another prideful. You're prideful too, by the way, just so you know, okay? 
we're all prideful, right? So, but, but that doesn't allow us to say, well, then I guess we'll just ignore that, those, these three commands that Peter gives us, right? These three commands that are from God to humble ourselves. We, we don't get that choice. We have to somehow apply this to our lives, even in our prideful, sinful pridefulness, right? We have to apply that. So that's what I'm going to attempt to do today. And I think it's helpful to remember who wrote this, right? It was Peter. And Peter's prideful outbursts, folks, are legendary in the scriptures, aren't they? They're legendary. Think about the time when um, Jesus asked the disciples, he says, who does man say that I am? Who does man say that I am? And, and they're like, Elijah. They say you're Elijah. They say you're John the Baptist and reincarnate, and they give all these things. And, and he turns to him and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter's like, oh, I got this one. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus looks at him and he says, blessed are you, Peter, for man has not told you that, but the spirit of God. And he goes, <laughs> yeah, Peter's like, yes, the spirit told me that. And then Jesus says, starts to tell everybody, hey, I'm on my way to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. And Peter goes, no, no way, never. You're never going to do that. That's not, that's not what you're going to do. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan, for you care more about the things of man than the things of God. In other words, he says, you are just as prideful as Satan who said, I will exalt myself over God. You are robbing God of his glory. This is the guy that's writing this. But thankfully, Peter learned a thing or two, right? As he came to this text and as he wrote to the church. So the Peter that we're hearing from has all, has, gets to draw on all of that experience, right, of his pridefulness, and he gets to share it with the church. So here in our text, the older, the wiser elder, Peter, speaks to the church living in exile and gives them the key to enduring suffering they're experiencing, and that key is humility. It's humility, folks. I remember one time somebody said to me, Oh, I was talking to them about how you come to Christ. You can't come to Christ pridefully. You need humility. You know what their answer to me was? Yeah, I got that humility thing down pretty good. <laughs> I went, okay, all right, well, let's talk about that a little bit. But it's humility. And so I want to talk about the principle. So if you, the principle that, that Paul is trying to get across here, and if you look at verse number five, the, the, the second part of that, or the last part of that, last third of that, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is the spiritual principle that, that Peter's trying to get across, right? This is his argument. His argument is, guys, God resists pride, but, but he gives grace to the humble. So this is a spiritual law that Peter is trying to get across to the church here. And he's saying that you need to clothe yourselves in humility toward one another if you're going to get through this difficult time, if you're going to succeed and grow. So I want to just talk about the, the principle here for a second, the principle of humility. First of all, God opposes the proud. God stands against pride. The word resist or opposes here is a military term for fighting against, right? And, and it is, I guess, us fighting against him, but, but what he's talking about is God opposes, God resists, God fights against pride. Let that sink in for a second. So whenever we are exercising pride or if we're living our lives pridefully, God is opposing us. That's kind of a scary thing, and I think Peter meant it to be a scary thing, that, that, that God opposes those who are prideful, who exalt themselves. We'll talk about this in a second, over him, 
So why does God act this way? Well, I think because proud people invariably trust only in themselves and not God. Furthermore, the proud see themselves only with strengths and never with any weaknesses. They consider themselves the standard for others to follow. They display an attitude of arrogant superiority and generally have a self-centered, self-sufficient odor. And pride is particularly odorous to God. So Calvin makes a statement. I get to quote Calvin this morning. That's awesome. I don't often get to do that. So, but Calvin says this. He says, God cannot bear with seeing his glory appropriated by the creature in even the smallest degree. So intolerable to him is the sacrilegious arrogance of those who, by praising themselves, obscure his glory as far as they can. So how does God feel about pride? How, what does he think about pride? Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. He, uh, be assured, he will not go unpunished. Psalm 101.5 says, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. So why does God hate pride so passionately? Let me just suggest this as a definition of pride. This is why. Because pride is when a sinful human being aspires to the status and position of God and refuses to acknowledge their dependence upon him. I'm going to say that again. The reason why God is so passionately opposed to pride is because pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon him. In other words, they want to be God, and nobody can be God aside from God. And he opposes this vehemently. Pharaoh is an illustration of this, right? We know uh, about Pharaoh. He came and uh, he, when Moses came to Pharaoh and uh, after he, God tells him to go and, and see Pharaoh, he says um, to Pharaoh, uh, the Lord, the God of Israel has said, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh say to him? He says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And what is, what's God's response to that? Ten plagues each one greater than the other until finally in the 10th plague, the, the first son of everybody is dead. I mean, you want to talk about opposing something in someone, that was it. And he delivers Israel from them. And what about Nebuchadnezzar? Remember Nebuchadnezzar? He built all of this. He, he was, everything that he saw, everything, everything in his sight, everything that, that he could reach out to was his. And he was like, hey, look at what I did. And what happened to him? He was mooing, eating grass in the fields, right? God God humbled that man, right? Humbled him to the point of a beast in a field eating grass, like an animal. Thankfully, he was repentant and God restored him, but, but that is how God opposes us. Do you think too highly of yourself? Paul says we shouldn't do that. In what ways have you been robbing God of glory, the glory that he deserves alone? Are you, will, are you unwilling to ask for help for fear of being seen as weak? Is your opinion always the most valid one? Humble yourself. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. That's important. That's what we're going to talk about next. So yes, he opposes the proud, but there is grace for those who will humble themselves. Again, that's our main verb. Humble yourself, therefore, right? So he says, God gives grace to the humble, 
Listen to what um, 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout all the earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Though God knows everything, he is omniscient. He tells us he is also searching for something particular, something that acts like a magnet to capture his attention and invite his active involvement in our lives. God is decisively drawn to humility. The person who is humble is the one who draws God's attention good in a good way. <laughs> and, and, and in the same sense, drawing his attention means also dispensing his grace, his unmerited kindness. God gives grace to the humble, contrary to the popular and false belief that God helps those who helps, help themselves. No, God helps those who humble themselves. Those who honestly assess themselves in light of God's holiness and their sinfulness. It's a little bit like the... Um, these, these dispensers out here, these sanitizers. How many of you have used those sanitizer dispensers? As you, a few of you have. If you haven't, try it, okay? Because as soon as you hit that dispenser thing, you think is, what is going to come out is this little glob of, like, you know, sanitizer. No, you could take a bath in what comes out of those things, okay? It just pours out all over you. I mean, you're sanitized by the time you're done using that. But you've got to push that lever for it to come out. You can't walk up to it and just kind of stand around it. You have to push that lever. There's something that we have to do. Well, and in that same sense, right, when we humble ourselves, when we submit ourselves, when we recognize God's holiness and our sinfulness, he dispenses grace and grace and grace and grace. It abounds. It never runs out. He just gives it to us. But we have to humble ourselves. Because he resists the proud, he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives gifts to those who would humble themselves. I think this reminds me of the Apostle Paul um, when he was, you guys all know this in Second Corinthians, where um, he had this thorn in the flesh. Does anybody remember why he had that thorn in the flesh? Because he was so gifted, right? Because he had so many gifts, he, was, he would be tempted to be proud. So God gives him this thorn in the flesh, and, and, and Paul says three times, please remove this. You know, will you please remove this? And God says, no, my grace, what he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? Because in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Paul, when you work and people get saved, when you preach and people repent, when you, when you uh, go out and you minister and great things happen, you are so weak and so lowly and maybe probably possibly hard to look at, that people go, what is going on? This can't possibly be this man that God is working through. And who gets the glory? It's God who gets the glory. And Paul says, what after that? A after all that, what what's Paul's response? He said, I would rather glory in my infirmities that the grace of God may rest upon me. So I'm going to glory in those infirmities. Why? So that God would be glorified, that his strength would be made perfect in my weakness. And so I glory in that. I don't, I don't chafe under that. I don't say, why God? I say, no, God, use me. That's hard. We need grace for that. So God lavishes his, it, it, it lavishly dispenses his grace to us when we humbly respond to him, no matter what comes from him, because he is sovereign over everything, folks. Faith, love, hope, mercy, joy, peace, contentment, holiness, courage, strength, endurance, 
etc., etc., etc. They flow through humility. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we, in, in prayer and in Bible read and Bible study and scripture meditation, they catapult us to new heights of worship to God as we grow in humble dependence upon him. So God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's the principle. That's the spiritual law, okay? Now, Peter here gives three imperatives, okay? An imperative is a command. It's not an option. It's not like, well, I think maybe I'll do that. It's no, I'm commanding you. This is what you need to do. He says, clothe yourselves. And he, t- and, and he talks about these three uh, imperatives that we need to do in order to demonstrate humility as Christians, to live in this exile church. The first one here, he says, clothe yourselves uh, in the attitude of submission. Look at your Bible again in verse 5, at the beginning of verse 5. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Okay, so that word likewise is an important word. Sometimes we just skip over those words, but it's an important word. And, and the reason why it's important is because it connects it to the verse, the, the, the um, passage above that Pastor Brian went over last week. And we see that God, uh, excuse me, that Peter used this in other places as well. He used it when he was talking to uh, those who would submit to their authorities in chapter 2, excuse me, the servants submitting to their masters in chapter 2. He says, likewise, servants. And then he uses it again with wives. He says, likewise, wives. And then he uses it again with with husbands. He says, likewise, husbands. So does that mean that Peter's saying, hey, husbands, be like your wives? Or, "Hey, uh, hey, servants, be like your masters? No. What he's doing is he's taking a subject and he's carrying it into another group of people. He's saying, I'm going to stay on the same subject, but I want to carry it in. I'm going to talk about a new, different kind of group of people. It is a literary, it's a literary, I can't even say that. It's a literary device that Peter uses to show that, okay, I haven't changed topics, but I've changed people that I'm talking about, okay? And that's helpful for us because we see that word younger, and what do we immediately think about? Young people. So all you older people don't have to listen to the message this morning. You don't need to be humble, right? Of course not, right? Of course that's not the case. So, so when we see that, we say, okay, so he must be talking about a different group of people. So then we look at that word elder, and it's the same word presbyteros that he used in the passage just prior to this in, in 1 through 4. It's talk, he's talking about bishops. He's talking about leaders. He's talking about elders in the church, right? So he's saying, Church, everybody who is subordinate to that leadership, that's what he's saying. Everybody who's subordinate to that leadership, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves to the elders, okay? So, he's not, so it could include the impetuous young people in the church. Certainly Peter would have fit into that category, right, at one point in time in his life. Impetuousness, right? Um, just acting out and shouting out and doing all that. But it's, so it does include them, but it's actually including everybody. Okay, and that's important because we can tend to dismiss it. Well, this isn't for me. Well, yes, it is. It's for all of us. So Peter says in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So Peter uses another military term here when he talks about subject. It's the, the Greek word hupatasso, meaning to line up under. And it is the very exact same word that he uses for its servants and masters, uh, the, the, those who would submit to their authorities in chapter 2, and then also 
um, wives to husbands. It's this, the very same word. It means to line up underneath, and it's a military term. If you think about that, I mean, it, it makes sense. There's, there, is a, uh, there is an order in the military that you need to line up. I, I'm not going to go in as a, as a private, right, and start telling the general what to do. I line up underneath that general. I understand that. I know that. Because if that happens, especially in a battlefield, it's chaos, right? And so God, in his infinite wisdom, right, with all of our different relationships, he has this order, right? Not lesser, right? Elders aren't more important than anybody else. We're all the same. They just have a responsibility that's different, right? They have a job that's different than the rest of the church. And so God's saying, this is is my my order. Listen to what... um, Well, let me finish here. He says, he calls everyone in the church to put aside self-promoting pride and willingly and respectfully place themselves under the leadership of their shepherds. These shepherds that are to willingly, eagerly, and by example, shepherd the the flock of God. And um, John MacArthur commenting on this passage says this, as seen in the broader context, Christians are to be submissive to all in authority, but especially in the church. The process of spiritual growth flourishes among those who have an attitude of submission. An unsubmissive flock, on the other hand, makes a shepherd's ministry difficult and forfeits a critical feature in sanctification. Then he quotes Hebrews 13, 17. I think it's appropriate. Obey your leaders and submit, that's that same word, hupotasso, to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. So Paul is saying that this submission that we give as church people to the elders, this, it's profitable for us. So to chafe and, 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 um, and squirm and be uncomfortable under the leadership that God has appointed in the local body is not profitable for the local body. And so just like it wouldn't be profitable for a sheep to, be, to run away and bite the shepherd, and, and maybe he does do that at times, but it's not profitable, right? He, if he would submit, he knows he's going to be fed and he knows he's going to be cared for, right? And, and that word submit, we, we chafe under that, right? Because we're the, the DYI, do it yourself, don't tread on me, pry my gun from my cold dead hands country, right? That, that's who we are. We're, we're rugged individualists as Americans. That's me, by the way. Pray for me, but that's me. Not that that's a bad thing. Sometimes it's a good thing. But, but, but here in the church... It's not what God has created the church to be like. We are a community, and God, has, and God has a divine order of leaders and responders in the local church, and he's given charge to both of them, to the elders and then to the church members. He, he's given charge to servants to masters, wives to husbands, Jesus to the Father, right? Church to elders. It's profitable for us to submit to our elders, right? And in and, and, and not doing so, we miss out on some sanctification because God is using the elders of the church to sanctify us, right? And so we submit to them as we would submit to God, right? So um, I, I, I put here as an illustration, but I don't know how you guys think of this. I can no more be a member of a local body and refuse to be under the authority of the elders um, God has placed there, then I could join the army and refuse to be under the authority of the government that has placed, uh, the authority of the government has placed there. My mom used to say this when we were at home, and maybe you've heard this. 
too many chiefs and not enough Indians, right? <laughs> Some of you have heard that. It's an old expression. Too many chiefs and not enough Indians. And you all know what the context of that was. It was confusion, right? Because there was five of us in our home, four of which were boys. So it was crazy in our house. I know some of you have more children than that, but it was crazy in our house, especially with four boys. And we would all try to struggle and claw, and we all wanted to be first all the time. And my, my mom always used to say, yeah, um, there's, there's too many chiefs, and there's, there's not enough Indians. And... Um, and what she was meaning there again is that there was confusion. And, and really what she was saying is, hey, uh, young men and lady, there are two leaders here. There are two leaders here. Everybody else follows. Everyone else follows. There are two leaders and everyone else follows. If we would have any peace, if we would have any order, and if we would be able to move ahead and progress. So God has given us this divine order. But it doesn't mean that we swallow every vision, every idea, and everything that the leadership has, right? That, that's not what this means. The, the idea of submission means to support. It means to support as far as I can and as, and as much as I can and as much as the, the leaders and the elders are honoring God and his word, right? I support them. I might not always agree with them, but I support them because I remember they're serving here not under compulsion, but willingly. They have my best interest in mind, hopefully, right? That's what we're hoping. That's what we're, we're, we're trusting that they do. And so I support that. But it doesn't mean that I don't disagree. And it doesn't mean that sometimes I don't voice my disagreement. But what it does mean when I do disagree and I do voice my agreement, that I'm submitted to humility, that I'm striving in humility to be able to approach them in, in a way that is humble, in a way that puts God up here and man down here. It remembers my position um, uh, before God. So God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we're to clothe ourselves by submitting to our elders, right? And then secondly, in the second part of verse 5, we are to clothe ourselves in the attitude of service. So if you look there, he says, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. This is the attitude of service. This is the command to serve one another. We're commanded to serve one another. The phrase clothe yourself literally means to tie something around yourself, such as an apron worn by shepherds or servants in order not to get their clothes dirty when they were working. So Peter is saying, in essence, to put on the apron of humility as you prepare to serve one another. We humble ourselves as we prepare to serve one another. The word humility has the idea of lowliness of mind or self-abasement. It doesn't mean I like beat myself or think. It, 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 what that means is I put others before me. Paul uses the same term in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 when he says, um, what does he say? Okay, he says, do nothing, from, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, there's our word, Count others more significant than yourselves. Less about me, more about others. Less about me, more about others. That's, that should be our attitude when we're thinking about service. We shouldn't be worrying about ourselves. We're going to talk about that in a second. We shouldn't be worrying about ourselves, but we're, we're thinking about other people. How can we serve other people? And I'm sure Peter here is recalling the night Jesus was betrayed. You remember that? Jesus laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and, and then he proceeded to wash 
the stinky, smelly, dirty feet of these disciples. He then explains what he's done to the disciples, and so he explains it to us in John chapter 13. He says, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and, and you know what? You're right, for so I am. And if then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I give you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Um, prior to being saved and, and coming to Christ, I, I was a member of the Catholic Church, and I was involved. I, wasn't just, I didn't just go and sit in a pew. I was involved in the church, and um, I would help set things up, and I would make decisions for the church. It was the French Cathedral um, in, in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire. And one year, they, every year they would have the, uh, the bishop from New Hampshire would come, and he would wash the feet of some of the, the people in the church. And I got to do that one year. It was a little awkward. It was a little weird, okay? I'm not going to lie. Um, standing up there. And part of the reason it was a little awkward and it was a little weird is because I knew who this man was. I mean, he was the bishop of New Hampshire. Now, that might not mean much to you, but as, as, a, um, as a Catholic, that is huge, okay? He is the bishop. And there I am with my stinky feet and long toenails or whatever, you know, I'm just, that's, sorry I put that image into your, your mind, okay? So there I am with my feet exposed, and here is this man who is revered by the, by the Catholic Church in New Hampshire who comes, and he's washing my feet. And the example was not lost on me, just like it, I don't believe it was lost on Peter here, that the greater was serving the lesser. And if the greater, especially Jesus, I'm not going to compare the bishop to Jesus, but you, you know, Jesus is saying, the Lord of the universe can humble himself to wash these stinky feet. You people ought to be able to humble yourself just a wee little bit to serve one another, to think about what's going on in someone else's life and, and ask God how you might be able to meet their need if it's just to go and listen or pray. Think about somebody else for a change. And folks, I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to any of you. We think way too much about ourselves, way too much about ourselves, right? And, and the cosmetics and the clothing advertisements and everything else that we have in our, at our home and at our disposal is proof that we do. And Peter is calling us to something bigger. He's calling us to put away our own needs, put, set aside those things that, that, and care about ourselves and think about somebody else for a change, right? That's what he's asking us to do. Paul says in Romans 12, 10, outdo one another in showing honor. How many of you, you, you basically that, like, compete. So, you know, compete with one another, you know, to, to show honor, right? You, you want to outdo somebody to, to show honor, to, to, to say, hey, I want to care about you. I want to care more than you care about me, right? That would be awesome if we could do that in this church. How many of you guys remember the goofy gophers in Looney Tunes? Now, you probably don't because you probably didn't know them as goofy gophers because they didn't have a name, but they're the, those two, they look, I used to call them chipmunks, but I found out they're gophers, right? So they were the guys that, had, that would, they would hammer that dog on the head with a mallet, and then, they'd, and then they'd take off running for their hole, and then they'd get to the hole, and they'd both be standing over the hole, and the dog's like coming, like 100 miles an hour at them, and, and, and the one says to the other, after you. 
And the other one says, oh, no, 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 after you. And the one says, I wouldn't think of it, after you. And then finally, one of, them, one of them says, I have an idea, let's both do it together. And they grab arms and they jump down the hole just as the dog comes and misses them and he crashes into something, whatever. That's the idea of outdoing one another, right? I'm thinking about myself. I'm about to be eaten, but I want you to go down that hole first. I'll, I'll, I'll allow myself to be eaten because I, I'm thinking more about you than I am about myself. I know that sounds extreme, but that's what Christ is talking about. That's what Peter is trying to share with the church that's in exile, that's experienced suffering and persecution. He's saying, don't worry about yourselves. Worry about others. And you know what's going to happen? That, that the, the humility will be the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. That's what he wants from us. So when everyone is clothed with humility, that is, when everyone is concerned with serving others, the problems of leadership and authority are virtually eliminated. When both shepherds and sheep are out to serve, shepherds are no more authoritarian than sheep are rebellious. Peter wants the church to remember in the midst of their suffering and trials, the key to enduring is humility. So who are you serving? Are you looking for needs? Are you asking God to show you? I'm hoping that you will do that. How are you meeting others' needs around you? Is any area of service in this church beneath you? Are you fearful of serving? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then our final um, piece of clothing that Peter wants us to put on is, um, is found in verses 6 and 7. Let's read them together here. So bring, back, bring you back to the scripture. Humble yourselves, therefore. That's the main verb there, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Casting our care on God is a demonstration of humility toward him. Not casting our cares on him is a demonstration of pride not trusting he is willing and able to care for you. The word therefore connects verse 6 with the preceding statement and our main idea in verse 5, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If God opposes the proud, it is true wisdom to humble ourselves before him. Truth be told, whether we are submitting to elders or humbly serving one another, we're humbling ourselves before God. So when we're humbling ourselves, it's always under the mighty, powerful, sovereign hand of God. So how do we see this faith at work here? So when we look at verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, what? So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. First of all, our faith, this clothing that we're putting on our faith, it believes. And I know you're going, duh, faith is believing, right? Faith, you believe. So faith believes, but what are we believing? We're believing the fact that God can and will exalt us, or we could say can and will deliver us. Remember what we're, we're talking about here. The, the context of this entire book is suffering. It's persecution. And so Peter's speaking to this church, and he's saying, he's saying humble yourself. Here, here it is. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty, the powerful hand of God so that in his timing, in due time, he will exalt you. 
And so the question should arise, okay, so what is he talking about? Is he talking about like future exaltation when Christ comes back? We're going to be glorified? Yes, he is, right? That would fall under that, right? And so we, we, we hope expectantly in God that he will deliver us when Christ returns. But folks, he also means right here, right now, God does deliver us. He exalts us. He brings us up when we humble ourselves. And that has that whole idea of that grace that he gives to us And when we are suffering, when we are walking through trials. And we're looking around, we're going, I don't see any deliverance. We trust in God. We know that it is his timing. He is sovereign over that. It is his method, right? However, he, whatever he uses to deliver us, and it's his purposes. So God has a purpose for everything that he allows into our life. And that's for our good and his glory. And when we, put, we exercise our faith in that, that, that is when we humble ourselves and we recognize that God will deliver us and we hope in him. But not only does faith believe, but faith acts. Look at verse 7. So, this is, he, so Peter's basically saying, here's, here's what it's going to look like, okay? Here's what this is going to look like. And he says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you, right? Cast all your anxieties on God. Why? Because, verse 7, he says, because he cares for you. Two points, and then I'm going to be done here real quickly under this. And it's, so more than two points, three, but I promise they'll be short. So that word casting has the idea of throwing, like casting a net, or um, it's used earlier on in the New Testament, in the Gospels, to cast a blanket on a donkey. So it's like it, it has the idea of taking what your burden is and throwing it onto something else to be burdened with it, Let, letting go of that burden. So he's saying cast your anxieties, your fears, your troubles, right? Your worries, cast them all on to God. Why? Because he cares for you. Now that word care, it's a very important word there, and it's a present, active, indicative. And I'm not saying that because I know a whole bunch about um, Greek and I want to teach you Greek because I could never do that, all right? And I don't know a whole lot about Greek. I know enough. It'd be dangerous. So here, <laughs> just kidding. So, but here's what's important about that, right? That, that it's an indicative, and this is what that means is that God's care is not contingent upon what I do. It's not contingent upon my performance. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, God cares for you. No matter who you are or where you're at or what your struggle is, he cares for you, and you can't change that. And we know that, right? Because we read in Romans chapter 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God right? Nothing. We are, we are his, and he cares for his own. We would humble ourselves. He cares for us. So that's the indicative that it, it, it's, not, it's not contingent upon me. This is God freely giving me, right, unmerited care to me if I would cast my cares upon him. And then the second important part about that word care is that it's a present, um, it's in the present tense, which means God's care it was, it, it's, it's been happening, so it, it happened yesterday. God cared for me yesterday. God is caring for me right now, and God will continue to care for me in the future. What security? The God of heaven and earth is saying, I care for you. Humble yourself. Cast your cares upon me, and, and, and this will be the result. 
When we cast our cares upon a God like that, who gives us unmerited favor, care, grace, and, and he gives it to us, not just a little bit, but he lavishly pours it out onto us. When we do that, when we cast our cares upon him, guess what it does? It frees us up to care for everybody else. I don't have to worry about myself. I'm not worried about myself, right? Because God is going to take care of me. He's going to take care of me now, or he's going to take care of me when Christ returns. But God is using that in my life to glorify himself, right? We have a purpose here. My, my purpose isn't to have a big house, two cars, a, a big bank account. That is not my purpose. That is not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to be a light to the world. It was the purpose of Israel, and they failed. And now it's, now it's the church's response to say, hey, listen, I'm, we are going to love one another. We are going to exercise. We're going to clothe ourselves with humility, and we're going to submit to the authority that God has given to us to the best of, that, that wicked sinners can. And then we're, we're going to serve one another. We're going to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. We're going to serve each other. And Lord, we're gonna, we're, whatever you bring to us, right? Who can receive the good and not the evil from God, Job says, right? And, and so whatever you bring to us, Lord, we're going to receive it as your good hand because we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called to his purpose. So you have a purpose. And your timing, it's not mine, Lord, but I'm trusting you. Your methods may not be mine, Lord, but I'm trusting you. Your, 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 your plans, <laughs> they're not, they may not be mine, Lord, but I'm trusting you. Peter wants us to understand that, folks. And so, humility is the garment of the church in exile. Brothers and sisters, we are that church. We are today living in exile from our eternal home. We're surrounded by strife, pain, injustice, sin. Will we be clothed? Will we clothe ourselves with humility toward our leaders, one another, and ultimately toward God as we support our elders, serve one another, and humbly cast our cares to the one who cares for us and trusting in his timing, and his method, and his purpose? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you do indeed care for us. Lord, this is a tall order, um, but... But Lord, you've commanded us. You've commanded us to submit to the authority that you've placed over us um, as best that we can. Lord, you've commanded us to, to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. And then, Father, you have commanded us uh, to humble ourselves. And, and we do that through casting our cares upon you. But Lord, it's a tall order. It's hard. So, Father, I pray for the grace that we need as a church to begin to live this out. So, Lord, the outside, those who are outside of Christ would see the love that we have for one another and know that we're yours. They would see our good works and give glory to you, Father, in heaven, that you would be exalted, that you would be glorified. Forgive us for our pride, Lord. Help us to repent of that. Show us what that is and help us to repent of that, Lord. Help us to change. And, Father, help us to do that for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.